Claimant Stories fam, what's good? It's Bima here, and we're back for season four. Yes, season four of the Claimant Stories podcast. I wanted to open this season expressing gratitude for the thousands of you all over the world that listen to every episode, that share it with your friends through text and IG, and for all of you that reach out through DMs and pull up on me outside. I'm so grateful that I have the privilege of being your host and sharing the stories of black and brown creatives and how they turn their dreams into businesses and beyond. We started this show in a conference room. We just wanted to help and inspire creatives that look like us. We wanted to provide guidance where it had been absent, and crazy things have happened ever since. From debuting number one on Apple in 2021, to a 30-day West Coast road trip in our mobile podcast studio, Storyteller, to hosting live events in Portland and New Orleans and Boston. Plus, our friends at Apple featured us in the society and culture section to highlight our work and kick off the new season. When I tell you I believe we're all capable of very incredible things, I mean that. We've come such a long way and have so far to go. With that said, I know some of us are experiencing incredibly difficult realities and environments. I know we're dealing with traumas and spaces that weren't built for us and weren't built with us in mind. I know it's harder than just believing and then your dreams become a reality. But I do hope that this show can provide some light and guidance as you navigate your way through the world. And dare I say it, but this will be the best season we've ever released. The lineup is incredible and inspiring, and we'll have 32 episodes coming to you this season every Tuesday. Thank you so much for your unwavering support. And remember, always claim a seat at any table of your choosing. Over the past few years, we've leveraged Vistaprint services to help us on our mission to inspire entrepreneurs of color. They've helped us print stickers, t-shirts, totes, mugs, and even snapback hats. Yes, they print just about everything. My point is, they print a lot more than just business cards. So as you look for ways to help your small business stand out, think Vistaprint. And right now, new customers like you can get 20% off your next order over $75 or more plus free standard shipping. Just use the code CLAIMASTORIES at checkout. I went through every hoop you can ever go through just to be able to enjoy what people were just chewing. So I think it gave me this maturation in real time and also excelled me forward in how I want people to enjoy food and what texture does and how it makes you feel. Because if you haven't had a chip in two years, if you haven't had a chip in a week and you go to have a chip, you go like, have oh it, you're like, oh my like, this goodness. This is delicious. <laughs> and, but to not be able to have one and then to find certain textures that you could do, that's what I was always looking for. So we, we apply that in certain ways in the restaurant, even to this day. Even to this day. I'm Bima, and believe it or not, welcome to season four of the Claimant Stories podcast. On today's episode, we talk to Douglas Williams, the visionary and only black chef-owned restaurant in Boston, a fact that the Atlantic City native takes pride in 
but emphatically wants to change. Douglas grew up with dreams of being a history teacher, being married, and having exactly two kids. Like most of us, these desires would come true in a nonlinear fashion. The two-time James Beard nominee had to grow up fast. At the impressionable age of 10, he would learn that his mother would be diagnosed with breast cancer, and with an absent father, he became the master of many trades with an unapologetic tunnel vision that landed him where he is today. As if that wasn't enough, at 16, he would learn that he would be diagnosed with Crohn's disease, something he lives with and navigates to this day. His motto, take the excuses out. The moment you make room for excuses, you make room for doubt, resulting in unfinished business. I'm excited to share the story of inspiration, imagination, and innovation. All right, so, you know, our next guest doesn't need a large introduction from me. From Boston Magazine to Food and Wine to the James Beard Foundation, he's truly exceeded any limitations that have been placed upon him. Please join me in welcoming Douglas Williams to the stage. Claim a seat. Yeah, I was gonna say claim a seat. You claim a seat. Get it right. <laughs> I was like, I can't be messing up my own brand. Cliff just told me that. <laughs> How you doing? I'm doing all right. Yeah. You know, I was I was tempted, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Yeah. Because anytime someone has the same last name as me, I'm like, that's my cousin. So I was like, cousin coming out. Yeah, cousin. Yeah, we cousin. Yeah, we cousin. We cousin. What up, cousin? How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. You know, Happy we ate at the here. restaurant last night. I know. It's the second time. Second time. In a month. <laughs> that makes you a VIP. I'm a regular now. Yeah, they remember right. me. Yeah. They were like, Beamer coming through. But we drill into their heads. Hey. And plus, I told them you was a cousin, so that's <laughs> it. I see you on the list. Thank you very much. Oh, my goodness. So with everything going on, how are you? Like, I mean, how do you stay balanced and just kind of stay, like, grounded with I mean, I mean, to be honest, like, I'm, you know I mean, I'm not that good. Mm -hmm. I think over the past, I mean, since I was 15, it's been just going hard and, yeah. and you know, starting in Wendy's and falling in love and, and you know, watching Food Network and falling in love with that and then making, you know, France and Europe my goal and trying to bring that all around while, <laughs> while life is going on. I think, you know, going through the last two, three years have been very uh, challenging is a, is a cliche word right now, but I think it's just, it tests you in ways that you didn't know were going to happen. Mm. And it's not just you, right? I have a hundred and something employees now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I got two kids, you know, yeah. set of twins, which is basically like equivalent, wow. you know, essentially the same way. Yeah. Um, partners, fiduciary responsibilities um, to myself, but also to the business. And I think that's just, I'm trying to balance that all. But also, I forgot to even leave myself. Like, I got to... Yeah, that's what I was going to ask I you. I was like, I mean... I could barely get some push-ups in, you know, <laughs> so I, I try to still get that, to still get that to happen, so... You know, it's you, know. you, right? Like, and I yeah. think that's important to remember, right? Like, we can do all these different things, but if you aren't okay, the rest of it won't be okay either, for sure. right? For sure, for sure. As you're working through that. But also to everybody else, all courage. the employees, like I said, they, they all got families. They all got yeah. problems. They all got their own responsibilities. They all have their own... <laughs> issues and ambitions and dreams and uh you know that we're really the restaurant is just kind of a, a holding place for them right as for some of them yeah and it's also a teaching ground it's a place of comfort it's a place of what they're used to mm -hmm. so i think it's just trying to balance all that and also the press things the, the, yeah. the reaching out the growth i mean it's just a this is a very personal 
thing, but also it's amplified yeah. when you have in a public eye, when you're public view and, and trying to grow and do the right thing and not have any missteps, but also be yourself and yeah, I mean, just, think, just take a breath. Take a yeah, breath. I need, I need a but it comes, there. right? It, it happens. And I think that's the, the thing about it is like the key, the goal isn't perfection, right? Yeah. The goal yeah. is consistently show up and do what you love For and sure. be able to do that over time and For be able sure. to impact and help people along the For way. Sure. But you spoke initially about going. And you feel like you've been going for you know a long time mm -hmm. now, and and that really started you know mm -hmm. at a very young age for you. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about that relationship between like take me into the family, right? Talk to me about your mom, your dad. I know you sure. spent so much time with your mom, and there was pockets where your dad wasn't around. Sure. How did that shape you today? Well, I think you know so you know born in '84, my father was 23, mother was 40. Um, wow. She was. Great physique, you know. I mean, she was not. She was. A, she was a smoke show. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, and 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 and. He said, you know, "Mom's was popping." Yeah, mom's popping. <laughs> and, and and mom was a cocktail waitress, and dad was a chef, and you already know how that goes. Yeah. So you know, yeah, yeah you know, I have yeah. with that. And, and then, um, but you know, I, I think when you know when you're 23 and you know, not quite ready for the world. Especially being in Atlantic City, New Jersey, oh, wow. you know, in its boom, but also, I mean, it has its own yeah. pockets of and, and road bumps and has its yeah. temptations. How do you stay there with a kid, right, with a woman that's you know, almost 20 years your senior, yeah. and never see the world and never get out? So he felt started to feel suffocated, and then that, you know, at the age of six he left, and you know, uh, when I was 10, so this is you know basically 95. Mom sat me down on our little mauve couch. And you know, had the conversation with me that she had breast cancer, and Wait. and she told me what was going to happen. But she, you know, at this point she's fifty, right, mm -hmm. with a ten-year-old kid, 10 -year -old. with a ten-year-old mixed kid that you know is trying to also figure it out when dad's gone. And how does one now navigate, right? She she is explaining to me what is going to happen. She's gonna they're going to take off this breast, and they're going to take off this breast, they're going to take off this lymph nodes and and these white blood cells, and this is what radiation is going to be like, and this mm -hmm. is what all the treatment is going to be like, and. That immediately zoomed me forward in maturity, right? I mean, you're immediately ten. pulled me forward. Ten, you're like ten. You're yeah. ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dad's not there. That's already a thing you're trying to yeah. figure yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're a mixed race kid. Yeah. yeah. Right? I mean, and she she was Syrian Lebanese, and so she had the food. She was trying. We couldn't yeah. go back to Syria, Lebanon, because you know, civil war. It's, yeah. it's been. It's still happening. Been, you know, yeah, it's, yeah, it's still very depleted. Much. So you know, she had to show me what I was about through food, hmm. right? Um, through tabula, through yeah. kibbe, through all the traditional wow. things. Couldn't do it through language, couldn't go back. And my father was also a chef, so <laughs> kind of had that somewhat Already ingrained, didn't, didn't know, he wasn't, nobody was like, you know, pedigreeing me to, to do that, <laughs> but, it, but it was definitely a, uh, a route that yeah. I just had. I just, yeah. I just had it in it my head. It was just around. It was just, it was just around, right. The flavors, the tasting, yeah. Yeah. the conviviality of, of trying to do it. And then on my black side, my dad's side, you know, it was a huge family. Uh, great grandmother yeah. just actually passed. My grandmother just like just she was 101, so she was born wow. in 1919. So I had that uh, the understanding of sharecropping, that understanding of contract buying for a housing market, right? The redlining, I, all yeah. that was brought very early in my yeah. life, and understanding that. So I think just having all those little pieces and the understanding the fragility of life. Mm from a young age didn't, I didn't want to get in trouble, right? I didn't want to end up in detention. I didn't wow. want to get- So you were yeah. at an early age, you were like, did you feel like you maybe weren't creating as much? Like you weren't like curious to like get into some stuff oh, no, because no, no, no. you were like, maybe I'll get in trouble? No, no, always curious kid, always okay. curious kid. No, no, okay. always digging in, but I, I was only child. 
So you play outside. Yeah. <laughs> that's, 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 the, that's the curious, that's outside is the, is, is the move. It's the only way you're going. You I'm only child as well. You just get there. And, and then, but when dad's not there, you don't have that sort of uh, kind of, the 6 to 15, so he was going from 6 to 15, and mm. that is the, probably the worst time mm. to be gone, right? Yeah, that you're is, changing that is, so much. Well, I mean, that's when you absorb. Yeah. I mean, that's when you absorb and develop and then put yourself out into the world. And I think that not having that and having mom having to be the black father herself <laughs> while also not having her womanhood. I mean, that is your womanhood. That mm-hmm. is who you are and also your health and also how you, the, your confidence into the world and your confidence in how you, who you date. Like, mm-hmm. what do you do? Yeah. Right? And also your ball. Yeah. So, and also you got to wear wigs. Like, I could not imagine being that. So I, so I couldn't bring myself to get in trouble and do things that were silly. Mm-hmm. And so I think just growing up quickly also made me decide and kind of pointed my, um, you know, compass to where I wanted to go through. Did you next. later on in life end up getting in trouble? Uh, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I have to ask because, I you mean, know, I brought, I brought most of some us friends. get it out early. The friends, you know what I mean? <laughs> Let the friends get in trouble and you just, like, get some whiffs of it. You know what I mean? You, you, you under, you know what I mean? <laughs> get some the whiffs cousins, of it. The cousins, you know, you get the, the cousins do, Yo, do the, the, the rough house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Always. Well, the, always the, first, the, the, the first time I ever, I remember I was uh, 13, no, I was 12, 13, and the first thing, you know, I, we always used to say big head. I called Shaheem, a sunflower seed big head. He rocked me across the jaw. Drop. That was it. Bust my lip. And I was like, really? you know what? I'm all set. I like my lips. I like my face. I like my nose. I don't need none of this. I don't need to tell mom none of this. No, no, none of this ice packet thing. Nah, I'm all set. I, I stayed away. So I honestly just started to like develop myself to man. No, no need to get into a, a fight. Yeah. No, just I talked my way out of it. I try to be above it. Yeah. Plus I'm fast. Um, <laughs> and I think just trying to keep my mom and my mother and my responsibility. It's not just not about being in trouble. It's just about I have to now live my life for her, hmm. right? I have another life to live for. I, almost like a, a, someone would feel like with children, yeah. right? You have a, someone to live for. It's but something bigger yeah. than you. It's not so, just you. Yeah, so my mom passed about uh, nine years ago, and I think that now, you know, I think we all, I don't know everybody's situation in the room, but when you think about losing a parent, right, even before it happens, when you think about that, you can't really imagine past that. You don't, you don't, no. your mind can't like really process what that would be like, or you kind of just like, okay, I'm just, you know, I ain't gonna think about that. Yes. But when it happens, yeah. the most incredible thing kind of appears in front of you and that is that you actually it actually becomes a stronger relationship mm. right once they pass you actually honestly the biggest thing that happened and I think it happened right at the right time because it happened right when I was about to open the restaurant this was 2015 2014 mm-hmm. and I actually lost all my fear mm. right I lost all my fear all my because fear because you were holding on well because when you lose when you, when you lose a parent or when you lose a child or something there's nothing worse that could happen than that yeah right there's mm. no there's more, no greater pain there's no more devil there's no more uh, monster under the bed right there's no other devil so yeah. that is the worst thing so now once that is gone now it's time to only shed the fear but also live for that person, that person. so now I get to talk to my mom as much as I want instead of feeling mm. bad about not calling her and being like ah oh, Mr. Da da now I get to talk to her every moment that I feel like it so now I think it's and it empowers me and it gives me. So I think that now that is actually what boosted me to start the restaurant because, you know, a restaurant in context isn't that really big of a deal. I mean, it is a big deal, but I, I do hear what you're saying. And, and as someone, yeah. like, I, I lost my dad when I was, mm-hmm. like, 24. Mm-hmm. And I do hear what you're saying on that part, on, like, the fear part and what it changes in you. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you never, I'm 24, I'm not thinking about that. Like, yeah. I'm thinking my parents are going to be here for eternity. But that happens and you start to just reframe a lot of things in life mm-hmm. and you start to think about the things you might have been putting off. You start to think about the things that, you know, perhaps they had wished for you. Right. Mm-hmm. And it just grounds you in a way that's very different from 
navigating the world in a very selfish way mm -hmm. prior. As far as growing up quicker and at a young age, what was that like when you think about it being fast and like, what was that like in your day to day? I think just, you know, my mom, so my mom was older, so she was born in 44. So that brings in that whole realm of the 50s, mm -hmm. 60s, that yeah. sort of culture. So it's, so it's bringing this kind of older school <laughs> understanding of life, understand this older school maturity, yep. right? This maturation that I had to uh, kind of go through and um, almost a sense of frugality, hmm. right? She was the type of mom that had the big shoebox uh, going through ShopRite. We had ShopRite in Jersey. I don't know what, uh, Pathmark, uh, it's, like, <laughs> it's like that. She had the big shoebox all alphabetically lettered of coupons, and that's how yeah. we shop. Yeah. And it was like, I want that. Don't even, I, I know they don't even grab that cereal, right? It's don't just, touch it's the, that. It's not the cheapest cereal, but it's like the mid-range, you know, it's the mids. So, so it was a lot of that. It was a lot of trying to align with her like an adult, hmm. right? Instead of trying to just be a yeah. child or just to be a kid. I mean, when I was 15, I looked 20. So the biggest problem <laughs> she had was trying to keep the, the checkout ladies from like trying to hit on me. <laughs> And like, I liked it, but I was like, I, you know, I didn't know. I, I can't do moms here. I can't I, do it. I was, I stubble when I was 12. Like, so you I was had like, your dad's energy, bro. You had your dad's energy. I was there, yeah, the dad. I'm trying to go with that 90s dad thing, you know what I mean, right now. So I'm trying to relive that. So I think just, I didn't feel different. I didn't, I just knew that whenever any kitchen I was in, right, fast forwarding to being in the kitchens, my first kitchen. I was always a little more advanced, at least in my opinion, in the mind, at least maturity. Mm -hmm and where I wanted to go and what I had to do and why I was there, right? The mission, which was to, there is no net. There is no safety net. Safety this net. is the only this thing I have. I, got, yeah. I, ain't got no, I don't have any accountant degree to, mm. to fall back on. I didn't go to college. Yeah. I went to culinary school for two years so I can get in and out. And there's no, nothing else to do. And I don't really just want to work, but I do want to train. So I think mm. once I put that myself into that mind frame, it was, actually was very easy to just go that way because that was the only direction was the only I had. You had but I, ha but I have I to kill go. it. But I got, but, but I, I got, but I got to do it right. Yes. There's no, yes. like, there's no in between. And I have to be, try to be the best that I can. I can't be, I can't be the best in better than anybody or personally, religion wise, anything like that. But just as far as this cooking thing, as far as how I move around the kitchen, that's how I gotta, I, I have to be, it has to be obvious. Ooh. Yeah. You knew this at an early age where you kind of wanted to go and what you wanted to do, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's, you wanted to become a history teacher. Sure. Right? Sure. History and English. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. History yeah. and English. Well third, well, third and fifth grade, that was when I got touched by my fifth grade teacher, like emotionally, and Miss Lake, Miss Mattia Lakens. And she did something like this to where she took two desks, she put them face to face, she took half the room that way, half the room this way. And she was like, all right, we're going to do introductions. And it was the first time I had ever, ever, especially by a, a lovely black woman, <laughs> in person to our face, with honesty, with sincerity, to prepare us for this life skill, right? It's not, it's not, it wasn't math, it wasn't this, it was introduction, it was how to be a man, it was how to be a woman with an adult, right? And we walked up, said, hello, my name is Douglas Williams, how you doing, bro? You know what I mean? And we did, but we did that, and we did it a couple times until we got it right, until we could look each other in the eye, until we could not laugh, not laugh start, start, start being this. a kid, but be real. And so it just felt like everything, to have that happen in fifth grade, I knew, A, I knew at that point I wanted kids. Right. I knew for some that, well, because I knew also that, like, I always love being around because I always love cradling and nurturing and teaching. So I think that teaching and falling in love with a, a teacher and their teaching style and how they approach and how they, you know, implant uh, ideas and maturity in your body and your mind and in your soul and for the future. I think I took that and just 
I was like, all right, time to be a teacher. I was like, let's do this. But then, but then I got sick, and you know, I got sick in, in, when I was 16. And so, tell me about that, yeah. right? Because you know, I mean, it's remarkable that you know um, all that you you've been able to accomplish because your your challenges have layered themselves on top of each other, right? And mm. so, you know, we talked a little bit about just what was happening with your parents, and then sure. talking about you know, your mom. But then now your health is coming into the picture at 16. What's happening? So 16, well, a couple things that happened. So you got Food Network just popped off, right? You got Alton Brown, you got Japanese Iron Chef, yep. which I had never seen before. And you got what we call the Boku Store, which is the Olympics, right? Okay. Of, of, which I didn't even know existed. The only Olympics I knew was going to the Penn Relays and seeing Marion Jones yes. and seeing Maurice yes. Green yes. and being like, what the f is this? He's like, what they doing? They doing? I can see this. this is, so this is like 99, 2000. And then just like in this sort of amazement, and just thinking that that's what I want to do. I was running track, bah, 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 you know, doing hurdles, doing nice loving that. Like, I was, I was nice-ish. I was nice. <laughs> I was enough to be like, I, I want to go to TCU. Yeah. I want to, you know, run for the Horn Frogs and do all that. And I was like, I was gonna do that. Gonna do but it. then getting sick, mm. you know, with Crohn's disease, with inflammation in my stomach, mm. that immediately put me out. And they took out my stomach, mm. cut six inches out the intestine, put it back together. Ooh. And then you, then you lose seventy-five pounds. You. I had a fro, I had braised, so I looked like a troll. It was, it was rough. It wasn't a good look. Yeah. So I lost my fast twitch muscle. Mm. So I think just coming out of that and seeing uh, the Food Network and seeing what's possible, right, and seeing this, this competition and seeing, okay, well I, well, I could still cook, but now I can't eat, right? Because uh -oh. now I can't eat anything. I can't eat anything processed. So what is it? Yeah, yeah, so you can't eat a lot of things. So what does it yeah. change in how you yeah. have to approach, right? Oh, everything. you had to, like, chew a lot of stuff? No, like so, so everything. So the doctor said basically I have to chew everything, and this is still to this day, I have to chew everything 30 times, right, about 30, 40 times till it becomes liquefied, right? Wow. Um, but the key that that did for me and the thing that, that it changed my life and I, in my opinion put me and excelled me above others was while in culinary school, which that was the only thing I really could go into, that they'll accept anybody, mm. right? That or masseuse school. So it was one of, it was one of the two. <laughs> um, so I went and tied Doug Williams, the masseuse. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I'll be, in a, I'll be in a room with a big hairy dude, but like, I didn't want that. I was like, I need to be, I need to be in the kitchen. And I was around other hairy dudes, but at least we got clothes on. So it's like, that's what I, that's what I was, that's what I was, that's what I was going for. So, and they get to be around good smells and better smell. It was, a, it was a better outlook for me and more entrepreneurial bandwidth, in my opinion. So I applied for Coney School, $9,000. We had a $1,000 grant, you know, because we didn't have, yeah, you know, yeah. it wasn't all, it wasn't flowing money. Yeah, so, yeah. so that was what I could do. And um, the one thing that chewing and not being able to eat, A, it makes you appreciate every single bite you take, right? Yeah. Because if you don't eat a cake for, for, for two years, yeah. well, well, you just got, you just can't have can't a piece of cake. You can't have bacon. I can't have anything with nitrates. I couldn't have anything from starch, nothing on a shelf, nothing in a box. Wow. Um, and this is before Whole Foods, right? This is like, yeah, this, so is this is 2000. Really like, well, you, can't, you can't buy almond flour in a little four ounce packet. You gotta buy the, the 40 pound, yeah. uh, 40 brick joint from uh, Pennsylvania and get it home and chop it up. It was, it was weird. So that's what we did. And my mom was struggling to trying to keep me alive all while she was she kind was of, you know, not fading out, but just kind of trying to maintain. Um, so I think that. All that happening at one time and being in school, I would chew, 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 chew. I would taste all the salt, all the sugar to the grain. And then I have a little, what we call a Slim Jim. It's like a skinny uh, trash can in the kitchen. We put, I always had one next to my station and I would chew it up. I didn't tell anybody that I had Crohn's. I didn't tell anybody that I had this because I, I, I didn't want the sympathy. I didn't want all that. I didn't want all that. Um, then they just had me making boiled eggs in the corner or something. I, I, didn't, want, I didn't want that. I didn't want that type of sympathy. So I would like chew it, chew it, chew it. And I spit it out without anybody seeing. 
rinse my mouth out and then go to the next thing. But what I focused on was my dexterity, my hand-eye coordination, mm -hmm. my skill set, my touch, feel, mm -hmm. all those things. Uh, how I chew, what it, what it really feels like to really finish a bite of food. Yeah. Like, and really appreciate it. And then what does wine do? I couldn't have wine at the time, but like I, I could find certain wines without nitrates. Yeah. I went through every hoop you can wow. ever go through just to be able to enjoy what people were just chewing. Yeah. So I think it gave me this maturation mm -hmm. in real time and also excelled me forward in how I want people to enjoy food and what texture does and how it makes you feel. Because if you haven't had a chip in two years, if you haven't had a chip in a week and you go to have a chip, you go like, have oh it, you're like, oh my like, this goodness. This is delicious. <laughs> and, but to not be able to have one, and then to find certain textures that you could do, that's what I was always looking for. So we, we apply that in certain ways in the restaurant, even to this day. Even to this day. I, I think it's remarkable that you took something that could allow you to develop a really negative outlook. Sure. And a bitter, yeah. You, yeah, you know, yeah. and you really thought about how, actually, I want to use it this way. And I want to use it to take myself to these different places yeah. and really sharpen up yeah. my skills and really be able to savor flavor. Douglas had to overcome a myriad of obstacles during his childhood. Coming up, we talk about the importance of travel, role models, what it means to show up for yourself, and legacy. Wow, we're in season four of the Claim of Stories podcast, sponsored by our amazing partners at Vistaprint. And we're still on a mission to inspire and empower entrepreneurs of color to claim a seat at any table of their choosing. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, you should know that Vista continues to be the best resource for print and design. They don't just print business cards. They print everything to help your business stand out. And when I say everything, I mean stickers, T-shirts, tote bags, mugs, and even snapback hats. Whatever you need, Vista can make it happen. So if you're looking for ways to help your small business stand out, think Vista Print. Right now, new customers like you can get 20% off your next order of $75 or more, plus free standard shipping. Just use the code CLAIMASTORIES at checkout. Hey, it's Bima. Welcome back to the Claim of Stories podcast. Douglas Williams is the purest example of how to show up for yourself to achieve your dreams personally and professionally. As I continue our conversation with Douglas, we talk about his transformative trip to Vienna, the uncompromising tenacity it takes to open up any business, surrounding yourself with the right people, and his legacy. When you were 18, you also had a, another pretty remarkable experience, or around 18, and you went to Paris? Actually, I went to Vienna. Um, well, Paris, seeing that on TV, seeing it, that's where the Boku's door, the Culinary Olympics, was okay. held. Okay. So, to see, when France won every year, yeah. USA got smacked up every, like, they didn't even, shouldn't even showed up. But they, we got better. We got better over the decades. Um, but Paris was always, so you see these boys walking around, these crispy white, I was like, oh my God, I was like, I want to, <laughs> moving around each other, fire and knives, and I was like, that's what I want, that's, that's what, what I want to do. do. So, Paris was that mecca for me, right? Mm -hmm. that, I was like, I got to get there some way. It just wasn't yet. Yeah. And... I actually had this little um, yellow pamphlet stuck in the bottom of my book bag uh, from culinary school. My mom would clean out the book bag, wash it, because it smelled like food and all that, yeah. bring it back, clean it up, tighten it up. And she was like, what's this little yellow paper? And it was a slip to go to Vienna. Hmm. And I was like, oh my, I was like, she was like, what is this? I was like, oh no, it's just a thing. It was, was $2,200. I was like, don't, I ain't trying to don't worry about stress it. you. She's like, no, you're going. And then that was, and that, and that transformed my life. 
in, really? in the city. Well, because you see Europe. I mean, mm. you see Europe, you can't unsee it. Yeah, right? you, were in a, you were still in Atlantic City at the time? I was still in Atlantic City. Yeah, I was still in Atlantic City. And so you City. went to Atlantic City to be in it. To be in it. And that, and, that, <laughs> and that immediately opens your mind into what is possible, who you can be, who you are, yeah. what people consider themselves, how people see themselves, how, how people your age see themselves. Mm. And I think that seeing that was like, okay, this is, I, I need to travel. I need to get out. I need, I need to, to go. See so it. seeing that, it's funny because the bookend of starting in Vienna, Paris was actually the last place I went when I was 26. Oh, wow. okay. And the one thing in Paris that I noticed is that I could, they were all trying, from the restaurants that I experienced and the, and the time that I experienced, while it was beautiful culturally, the food, they were all doing what we call New American, right? And I was so disappointed. You were I was like, like, I don't want to see this. This is whack. I was like, this is not, this is not what I want. Um, because I came there for yeah. a certain thing. And that was just, again, that's just my personal experience that I had. But I had an amazing time. But at that time, also, my mom was entering the last stage of life. And I think that I had to get back home. I stayed for a summer, stayed for four months, wow. did my thing, enjoyed it, loved it. It was all awesome. But then you realize that you need to actually, life kind of smacks you again. And, you, and again. I came back, you know, put her in hospice, did the whole thing, you know, and you kind of ride that out. You know, I showed her the ring I was going to buy my wife and do the whole wow. thing. And I think once that happened... I remember leaving her in the room with her back towards the door and seeing like, you know, no lights on in the room and just walking out. And that was the last time I saw her. Hmm. And I think knowing that, I think she knew that I was okay now, right? Hmm. That I can go really start my life and really let go of any, any sort of, again, the feelings of not calling, yeah. right? All those, all, those all those juvenile feelings that, that we all have about, about yep. that we all feel bad about. Yep. Um, and I can let go of that. And now I can get on and apply the energy to um, what I need to get to, yeah. right? And now I get to uh, live through her every day and live for her. And now I get to um, travel and, and have fun and, and inspire other people. So and I'm sure she's extremely proud, you know? Yeah. Tell me about, you know, in that period, you know, you then went into opening a restaurant sure. of your own. Tell me a little bit about going, what's going into that, right? Because, you know, everything we hear about starting restaurants, businesses yeah. in general, is yeah. very hard. It's a lot. But you described it as the next thing to sports. So. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> it's, all, it's terrifying, but awesome. Well, so, so there's two layers. So obviously there's a lot of adrenaline and a lot of, um, you know, it's like preparing for a show for however long, right? For years. Yeah. And then actually the curtain comes up and this is what happens and everyone gets to have their remarks and their judgments and you're doing it for the people. Yeah. So you're not thinking about how... From childhood, I am there to just please, right? Mm -hmm. That's how I've developed my kind of consciousness, mm -hmm. is I am here to please, I'm here to give, I'm here to provide. Right. Um, and that's just who I am, mm -hmm. right? So I think starting a restaurant called Mida, M-I-D-A, Mida is actually two words, it's actually supposed to be an apostrophe, but Americans don't do well with apostrophes. Just keep it, keep it. It's, it's two syllables, it. <laughs> it's easy, it's four letters. Um, and Mida actually means she gives me. And he uh, gives me in Italian. And I was actually looking for the word generosity, but it's a, it's a weird nod. Like it's not, it's not as smooth. It's not as smooth. It's not as clean. Yeah. And I thought if we can create a business based off of generosity, which I haven't really, you know, heard from the world. Like, I haven't seen that before. And also thinking about generosity in business, you think about giving away things. Yeah. So I thought I wanted to try to have that challenge and embrace that challenge of how do we have that as our pillar from how we greet guests, how we say goodbye, to how we uh, pour wine, how wow. we write the menu, how the portion size, all that. How does the pillar of generosity exude in, in how we make our decisions of the business? And starting that business, that's how we started. It was like we had to run everything through that lens. And I think when you, when instead of seeing it as this big, 
crap show of opening a business in any business, but yeah. especially a restaurant when there's so many moving parts, when there's so many delicate pieces to it, making something that you know is just to give, hmm. right? And to provide for yeah. others and to make them feel welcome. That's actually the easy part, you know, coming from a, a mother who's Syrian Lebanese and, and a black family and a black grandmother, like everybody gets a plate. Everybody, everybody that's, a, that's the easy, oh, yeah. that's you can't actually go to the easy part of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Styro, we don't have any styrofoam, but we got other things that, that make you feel welcome. And I think that once you, if you have that in you, just cook and cooking obviously is something that I love. Yeah. So everything else is just the other pieces. And then that is why I, you bring on partners to do mm. the things that you can't do or the things that you don't actually, you don't want, actually to do, want to do or that you're not just, just now that's like, important that's piece that you got to re revisit, right? Yeah. Because I feel like a lot of us get stuck in this idea that because we started something, we got to yeah. try to do all these different roles yeah. 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 that we're not even good at. Yeah. 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 But or, or even don't want to do holding on to do it yeah. for like, feel like prideful reasons. Yeah. How did you realize like, nah, I don't need to do all that. I mean, it kind of smacks you in the face a little bit. You try to hold on to it as long as you can until you get, I mean, you know what I say, kicked in the mouth, you know, <laughs> until you hit that wrong road bump and you kind of lose control of your handlebars and you're just like, uh-oh, I, you know, I need to figure it out. And I think yeah. that that's what it is. In interview process, you realize you don't have certain things and you just need to be honest with that person about what you need and what you need their role to be. Yeah. And the better you do that, the better you communicate that, and the more honest you are with yourself, the better your results will be for your business. And again, this business is not just start it and then like if it doesn't work, then like Move on. we just yeah, go away. Like you, be, you will become financially in. ruined if you do not make it. And this is, and it's not, I think a lot of, I know a lot of people feel that they say to themselves, okay, I'm gonna, as soon as I save up this much, I'm gonna start this business. <laughs> I didn't use one dollar of my own money for, to start the business. This is not about, it, you are supposed to, you are actually supposed to try to find investment. You are mm. actually supposed to try to find partners who know more than you, who have mm. decades of experience, who have decades of knowledge, who have decades of loss and failure and, yeah. and reasons for why they do what they do. Yeah. And I think that then you start to incorporate your money and your you know, personal finances mm -hmm. into business. But to start it, you're supposed to try to, f the challenge is to find the people that help you um, kind of reinforce and enrich the business. And I think if, if more people would um, not just, know that, but embrace that, I think there would be a lot more businesses started by, of every color, of every demographic. Yeah. So. I think that's all. Sometimes people have a hard time asking other people for money. Like there's, mm -hmm. you know, you know, I grew up with kind of that connotation sure. that like, we all, we all did. You know, we I'm all not going to ask, you know, yeah. for money, but as I've, you know, gotten to my own business and yeah. kind of learned some of the stuff that yeah. you share and like, it's like, yeah, of course I need to go ask other people. Well, well that's why you money. actually, you actually write the business plan. You let the business ask for the money. You don't, yeah. if you it's ask for it you, first, it's yeah. like an artist selling their own work. It's just, you need a dealer to do it. You, it's too personal yeah. and you can't make the right decisions mm. to protect Right, your work and what you want to do. So I think that knowing that and understanding that and believing that lets you actually grow uh, farther and better and deeper um, yeah. in what you want to do. Tell me about that process when you're talking about meeting different people and partnering with different folks. Like, did you have different mentors that were able to like guide you kind of through that process that oh my God, you like yeah. leaned on? Like, if not for them, like yeah. maybe we wouldn't be having this conversation. Oh no, absolutely. I mean, there's a few stops, and I think you know. Uh, Virgil has that famous quote about that 15-year-old, you know, helping out that 15-year-old you. And I think, you know, that is exactly what happened. Um, if no one, you know, said this certain thing to me at 15, right, which was essentially that this exists or that, uh, you know, I can actually, all it takes to go to Europe is this. I'm like, oh, why didn't someone tell me? I was so mad when I found out I could just go to Europe or just do this or just go, you know, write a business. I just, I just didn't. No, I was smart, I was, yeah. I, but I was also, you know, I was focused on other things. There's I was focused things, on, yeah. on, I wasn't 
as ambitious as I should have been, but then I realized that I'd have everything it takes. I just need to ask the right questions yep. and not be afraid and be the squeaky wheel and be all, all those all kind of, of cliche yeah. things that you hear, but you have to actually push at that. And um, you actually have to have people that are kind of inputting into you to let you know that you can do that. Absolutely. Because right? if you, you don't know it's aware, can't be what you can't see, can't sure. do what you don't know. Sure, right? sure, sure. But tell me a little bit more about those mentors, right? Because you had this mentor was named Jamie Bassanet. Bissonnet. Bissonnet. Yep. And you said Jamie is one of the most important relationships yes. that you've developed in, yes. this, in this business. Why yeah. is that? Well, well, Jamie, he, if you ever meet him, he is a very, uh, you know, I shouldn't say specific person, but he is unique as all hell. And he is someone that can be your brother, your boss, hmm. your disciplinarian, this kind of mini god of cooking, right? He, ha he has this, but he's also telling jokes. Yeah. He's also like kind of tripping your foot from behind. You're like, bro, what is going on? I'm just trying to make it through the day. <laughs> he's but, like, but why are you all, over here tripping me? But he's also a badass cook. Hmm. And, and he, when you can encompass all these kind of characteristics and personality traits and be uh, honest and sincere and uh, genuine and all the, all the words that we, we know apply to the things that we love and people that we adore and also be able to, really cook and develop new flavors and, and have you taste and have you be welcoming and convivial mm. and and just bring it all together like a, like and, and also be successful and also be you know have a good vernacular yeah. i mean just literally the whole package and i think that seeing that and being next to that and like sharing sweat right every day day in and day out and seeing how hard how, how much work it takes mm. but also how to be a cool person mm. and blow off steam yeah. i think seeing that it made me want to be a better, uh, not just cook, but also a better chef and a better person mm. and a better and a better leader, and b while retaining all these characteristics and personality traits. I mean, that's the important thing about having good people around you, especially a mentor that can, you can have an example of like kind of what you want to become, mm -hmm. right? And you know, a lot of times I like the we call it like a personal advisory board, and I yeah. like to have like you know different people in my life that I can pull different qualities from, sure. right? Where I'm like. This is where I'm, you know, feel like my shortcoming is, but like I love the way that they do that, and like I try to channel that, you know, yeah, even yeah, when I do yeah, interviews, right? Yeah. You know, I study a lot of different folks, and uh, every once in a while, I'm like, oh, what would they do here? Yeah, you know, yeah, um, absolutely. Tell me about Mita and what you saw in the marketplace, and what you wanted to bring to culinary in Boston, um, and why you thought uniquely you. Sure, sure. I think it's less about what I saw and what I didn't see. And I think, and, mm. it, and it's not just color. It's not just not seeing black chefs, right? That, that can be a driving force and that can be an inspiration piece. But I think really what I saw, and if, I know you didn't get spent, well, actually you did get, you have lived in Boston. Mm -hmm. um, so you drive down Mass Ave and you he's, see He's what, trying to take shots at me. Yeah, I am, I am. Yes, I have to. People, yeah. <laughs> People do it when I say I'm from New Jersey, so I, you, you gotta, gotta push it back. Um, so when you drive down Mass Ave, you see, you know, one side which is South End, which is, you know, you have to understand that is the highest um, income uh, per capita in the country, right? Wow. Um, because of the density and, and the small footprint next to one of the lowest income per capita in the country, 200 feet away, which is Roxbury, which has an incredible amount of, I mean, South End in general, but especially Roxbury has an incredible amount of history. Um, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, like every, it's all right it's there. All right there. And that you can touch it, you can see it, and you can visit it, and then you can feel it. And I would ride down Mass Ave, Mass Ave splits them right in the middle. And I would look down to the left and South End is, you know, popping and there's light, the street lights work and, and there's double parking and there's people walking and there's restaurants. And you got the other side, yeah. 
um, that is, you know, uh, it's not as lit, right? right. It's that, there's no action. There's barely any businesses. There's a couple corner stores. There's a terrible Chinese food restaurant. There's like a, it's just like this, it's like weird stuff. It's, it's just like, weird. It's, yeah. it's not, it's not, but the culture, it's culturally it's rich. Yeah. And you feel this attraction and this kind of soul tug towards this way. And you actually end up spending more time there. But, but I was like, well, you know, we got to do something about that. So, so I think that, I think it's what I didn't see rather than yeah. what I saw. Um, and I think that I had a, I have a partner, um, Brian, and he had this opportunity that was open in this corner spot. It was supposed to be another restaurant. He stepped in, bop, 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 made that happen. And then we were in. And, and, this, is, and this is when, you got to understand, this is when Ayanna Presley was uh, counselor for District 7, oh, which wow. is my district. And mm-hmm. this is before she took off on that rocket ship yeah. that, that we all, that now she's a household name and known and love. And she helped, you know, put in position among others um, in the city uh, liquor licenses, which was actually, it was... I was going to say, it's not even the restaurant that's the problem. It's the, the, liquor, the liquor license. license. So uh, you being from Can you from expand Boston, a little yeah, bit of that here, sure. though? Because the, the liquor license situation here is, like, very, yeah. like... So, so liquor license is, is almost similar to redlining um, in kind of a, a more local government way, right? It's, it's very complicated and upsetting. <laughs> it's, that's the thing about knowing information is it's not just you know it and you just have it. It's now you have to live with it and have it in your shoulders yeah. and have it in your heart, and, and it still hasn't been Sometimes happening. So basically, it basically flowed the liquor license to certain parts of the city over time, over decades, and excluded other parts that were, you know, had it or the businesses failed, and then they just kind of go away. They're not supposed to dilute from the neighborhoods. They're supposed to just kind of enrich, enrich. actually supposed to enrich neighborhoods, which is ironic. Let's just say there's a lot of information on that. It would take up the whole interview to talk about it. But basically, it is a problem here, and it always has been. It, is, it, it costs a half a million dollars, a little more than half a million dollars, just to purchase the liquor license, right? In addition a to- half a million? Half a million dollars, license. right, half a million dollars. Um, still to this day, actually 525 right now. Um, and that- you don't need a liquor license to open a restaurant, but you need a liquor license to have a successful restaurant yeah. because you have to have certain things. Yeah. It's, it's just part, it's it's just just part, part of dynamic. Of it. It's part it's of dynamic of a restaurant. So I think that, that that is a massive barrier, especially being in the Northeast, mm-hmm. especially being in Boston, when you can go right outside the city and it costs $2,000, right? So what you're selling me, yeah. in Boston, it's yeah. $525,000 and Outside the city, it's $2,000? $2,000. I was actually uh, signed up for a liquor license outside of the city, and it was actually easier to sign up for that than it was to sign up for my children's uh, daycare, right? <laughs> it, was, it, was a zoo, it was a three-minute Zoom call, and it was like, pop, pop, okay, good, we're good. We're good here. We're all set. You got next one. And I was like, this is, that's, that's awful. So, so, I think, so I think that just having that context and knowing what it takes, in addition to the business, you have to be ready for those bumps. You have to be ready to absorb. Yeah. You can't just be mad and bitter. You have to, you have to be ready for the, the right. long fight, even though you think the fight is actually a business, which in your mind is this massive undertaking, then there's actually these other layers that you have to um, interact with and overcome. How did you develop that mindset, right? Because it can very easily feel like you're like in quicksand and like yeah. one thing's going wrong and there's all these challenges and you feel like you're in over your head and you're just like, what the hell did I sign myself yeah, up sure. for? Well, I think it's, I mean, we all have it inside of us. If we breathe deep, hard enough for enough long time, our fight or flight mm. kicks in. It just, it does for every single person. Doesn't yeah. matter if you take a cold shower, doesn't matter what, what, the, <laughs> what the trigger is, we all have that as a human. And, you know, for me, the fight or flight came by way of, again, the fragility of life and understanding that and having that very, mm. Having that awareness, because that's I believe that is what we are. We are this awareness and we just what we see is what is. And if we believe it, then it is. And I believe that there was no other option. There is no other option for me. And, that, and I think that was my mindset. 
is yes, I can go, you know, you can get a job or you can do some things, but I, how am I gonna support kids? How am I gonna, you know, buy that, you know, I think you can agree with this, buy that, buy that Porsche thing you are, I mean, you know, you buy, 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 I mean, buy that, yo, buy that, buy that dream. Let buy, me get that 72. You know I mean? <laughs> buy, buy, buy that, buy that thing that inspires you. You know what I mean? Cause bad boys, yeah. I mean, bad boys, exactly. bad boys was a, that was, that was, that was part of my, yeah, it was, yes, it's very impressionable. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> so, so how do I do that? And how can I be honest with myself yeah. about what I need for myself and my family and also to support my family, family, like, how am I going to, you know I mean? Everybody needs help. I need help and I need my own time to now stretch out my mind and my stress and all the things that I was doing. So now I'm trying to do that and that's, that's I mean, where we're I think we're you're at. doing that. Yeah, I'm trying to. <laughs> well, we got, well it's, also, it's also not just about helping yourself, it's about helping others. And I think yes. folding that in with the business, it seems like it's become more, of, more on the shoulders of people of color to help out mm. rather mm. than to just be, but that's okay. I'll take mm. all that plate of food. I'll take, I wanna help out <laughs> all of that. I, wa yeah. I wanna keep providing and I wanna keep, uh, just that's what I came here to do. That's, what that's a responsibility. Do, right? like, that's what I signed up for. No, it, it's true. Like we always end up taking on a lot of things for a lot of folks. Mm -hmm. um, and it could be a lot. But, but that's what, also time, what it seems like it's always has been. And that's, what I think is. that's what makes us strong and, and that's what we do. Yeah. That's Tell it. me about how you decided what cuisine you were going to do. Oh, well, that again, the Italian piece, you know, being in Boston, you have to understand the demographic, you have to understand mm. where you are, you have to understand what was needed. Yeah. There's a two maybe Italian restaurants in the South End, mm. zero in Roxbury yeah. and Dorchester and mm. kind of that District 7, Mattapan, all that. And I think that, you know, I wanted to actually do a, a like a weird Szechuan, like I want to do this tasting counter thing, <laughs> or cooking on fire, yeah. and then something else. And my partner's like, he's like, listen. He's like, <laughs> He's like, yeah, and, and again, this is this is the moment you have to be receptive, right? Yes. This is the, you can't yes, just be yes, this. Yes, yes. You, you you have to yes. be strong-willed to a point. Yeah. Right. But you, you gotta receive feedback. You can't be so strong-willed. You can't listen to anything. The tenacity yeah. has to have a sort of a, a. I'm not saying a break, but definitely a, a glide, right? You have to like <laughs> you have to be able to absorb a little bit. And yeah. I think that he told me he's like, you know, listen, like there's no Italian. I'm like, there is no Italian. He's like, try this first. We'll gain this, you know, sort of trust. We'll gain this sort of thing. And we'll, and we'll be honest. And then you can do, we can do whatever we want. And I was like, I think that sounds like a plan. And, and now that I can make people understand that concept. And you could, I mean, you were there last night. You, yeah. you have, it just kind of washes over you, as my, yeah. my grandma would say. Just let, <laughs> just let it wash over let you. It and, wash over and let it just, um, just accept it. And I think that now that the city's accepted that, you know, we are able to do things that are a little more ambitious, mm -hmm. a little more daring. And, you know, it's like, it's almost like letting somebody in the house. You don't just let someone in your house that, you know, you, like, you, like, you, know, hey, you look through the peephole first, yeah, yeah. you know, and then, and then you let them in. And you maybe. have to, you have, maybe. And then you have to kind of, you have to take it stage by stage. And I think that as we grow with the city and as we start to expand the businesses, you know, we, we have to build that trust and we have to know that it's, it's people. I mean, a business is kind of a, a person in a way that you have to gain trust with the public. Yeah. And, and I mean, you're serving food to people and those people are ingesting it mm -hmm. into their bodies, into their bloodstream, <laughs> right? And into their minds and their hearts, the smells, every, it's the whole experience and, whole and, and that, that you yeah. felt, the music, and you just have to make that an honest and a real experience. I love that you mentioned the music. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to a restaurant yeah. and the food is incredible. Yeah. And the vibe is Horrible. <laughs> yeah. well, 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 it's something we say that, you know, you can have great service and terrible food, but you can't, you don't really want 
good food and terrible service. Mm. That's usually the time that you don't go back. It doesn't matter how yeah. good the food is, or you get takeout, and that's it. And you don't. <laughs> but we, we want you to come in. We don't yeah. want to do. We, I mean, takeout is great, but we want you to no, you come in. Come fresh well, out of the kitchen. Come into the house. Place. You know, yeah. and you come in, girl. Bring the friend. Bring the cousin. Bring the <laughs> other one. Bring the girlfriend. Bring, you bring just as many people can fit at the table as long as you don't cause a problem. That's it. You know, that's it. everybody's welcome, and that's and that's what you want to create. And that's I think. You asked why and how I did it. That is why, is to actually get more of that unity in family. Because, you know, my, my mom was alive, you know, there was a little bit of a, that, you yeah. know what I mean? Because my mom wasn't really into the church. My yeah. family was my family was Pentecostal, going all the time. And mom was, didn't want me to be, uh, you know, kind of in there every four times yeah. a week. So there was this, like, there was this beat. And I think seeing that and feeling that, very much and having dad away so dad was so I more and more I look like my dad the more mm. and more my mom had some things to say yeah, and yeah. things to tell me and, and mm. things that maybe she shouldn't have said but she you know she but that's how help, but, but that's how it goes you know yeah. I, that's how it goes I, I got it and I think that I just the only thing that I wanted more than being successful more than being cooking more than all the things was just that unity, right? That kind of moment in Home Alone when that when the family was within the in the window, he was looking through. Man, I cried on that every single time I watched that. I just cause I wanted that. I wanted that wanted warmth that. of that of yeah, that of that yeah. room of just everybody being together yeah. and being cool and Nobody's having arguing, the arguments but together. But, but yeah, right. it's not like right. it's not beef. It's not beef. And I think that is why I want to do the business. That is why I want to have a, enough, you know, uh, kind of personal uh, ability to have that family and to bring that together. So that's really why I do what I do. That home alone analogy is that's it. That's it. That's it. Um, What do you hope people take away from their experience at Mita? I think this unforgettable, and hopefully again you you experienced it. Is this is this feeling that you can be you take away the street sign Mm -hmm. of Mass Ave and Tremont, and you have this feeling that you can be anywhere in the world. That you can be in Paris. Mm -hmm. That you can be in in Italy. Mm -hmm. That you can be in LA. Mm -hmm. And this corner, just these lights, just how they merge and how the and how the energy is and the way the buildings are. I mean, I think this, this kind oh, of... Oh, no, no, it's this definitely warmth, that the, vibe. The way, the way the bass hits from the ceiling, yeah. um, very, very gently, but, but subtle and intentional. Um, the smells of the food, the personalities of the servers and the, the, the managers and the, hearing the cocktails shaking in the back and, and the ice clinking and, and, the la- and that sort of happened across it from happens. you, either with someone you love or someone that you're just getting to know, mm-hmm. business, personal, first time, last time, yeah. otherwise, that is... That is what a restaurant experience is, mm-hmm. in my opinion. And I think that if you can create that every single time, then you have not only a restaurant, but you also have a home. Hmm. You know? And now, yeah, that's the point. Like, I feel like that's a great central theme that you've kind of been harping on. It's like, it's not a restaurant. It's not just a collection of home. people. It's a, home. it's a home. It's a place to belong. It's a home. That you're always welcome. And so many yeah. of us are looking for a place to belong. Absolutely. Beyond Mita, what do you want to create, right? Because you strike me as a person with that, you got so much more that you want to do. Where do you want to go? What's the legacy? Well, I still want to teach in my own ways. I still would like to go back to school and try to round that out. But I think that may be more a personal kind of thing I have to go for. But, 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 but I think still finding that those kids that are incredibly emotionally intelligent, right, that may not have all the certain, you know, pathways, not neglected or, or, yeah. or in a bad spot per se, right, because that's not how I, how I view children. I, it's, it's not their fault the world they came into. Mm. It's really about 
finding who they are inside mm -hmm. and helping them to amplify that and helping them give them confidence mm -hmm. and helping them to, I mean, because for me, I was in, you know, fifth grade, fourth grade, and the reason why I couldn't, now, you know, with math and all that stuff, I was either daydreaming about dad, mm -hmm. right, and why he was going and thinking it was my fault, right, and having mm -hmm. a certain sort of guilt, and, yeah. and I mean, as you, uh, you know, we all, we all got our own thing, yeah. and also, I didn't like to wear glasses, so I didn't see the board, so I was like, but I was also, so it was like, <laughs> I, I was scared to say anything, so I couldn't, wow. So I think that just kind of, if I was approached at that time from a male figure that, you know, was not, that wasn't trying to like date my mom or trying to, you know, it, well, I'm saying it was, she was still, she was still smoking, you know what I mean? Even after the thing, you know, she was still going. And it's like, you can't, I just wanted, I just want this wholesome picture hmm. of where I can have this business to where I can, you know, be who I am, mm. um, and also maybe in the literary sense, you know, with the book writing, the cookbook, the memoir, whatever it is, and just get that out and educate. I think education yeah. is my biggest thing because that is what I desired the most that I couldn't quite reach. So I had to educate, mm. I had to self-educate myself, yeah. and now I get to do that myself in my own ways by you know reading and, and find the books that interest me. But now. I need to do that and impact children, and impact children um, to, to be the next leaders and to be just who they are. Not to be the best chefs. It's not all about that. It's, it's about, about that. just being themselves. The best of them. Best of them. We have a lot of folks in here tonight that either have businesses or want to start businesses or want to start projects. Mm. Um, or maybe they want to start restaurants. So aspiring entrepreneurs and sure. restaurant owners. Um, what advice would you give them for those that are interested in maybe going down the path that you've gone down? The number one thing, and I think the first excuse is, oh, I don't have the money. I think, I think that's always the first thing, right? But, but I think put all that aside, put all the, the resources, all that aside, and what it boils down to, money or not, is tenacity, hmm. right? That feeling, even if this certain project that you're looking for, that goal, ambition, or whatever, or business plan that you're trying to write, or, or you have to be so unwavering in your, in, in your vision of what you want to do that you have to be a little crazy, right? So if you don't have that crazy in you right now, like get that from someone, like right? go visit that toxic friend or something and, and get, let that rub off on yourself. I, I don't know what you have to do. Read a book. Take a trip. Go to Tulum. Or do, do something to push that inside of your mind and inside of your heart because... It, it's kind of do or die. You, it, if, you, if you don't do it, or if you're not fighting for it, if you're not clawing at it, if you're not scraping for it, if you don't cry within the next year and you're trying to do this, then you're not really doing it, hmm. right? You should be yelling at your steering wheel hmm. at some point within the next month. If you, or your windshield, or whatever, whatever you are around, or your Uber driver, who, whoever you gotta yell at or let it out at, you gotta find whatever that is and, and compare it against what could be. And I think that once you do that, you find that the answer and the motivation and the window is very easy to be seen. You have to find <laughs> that, that motivation, right? Yeah. And you gotta create a very strong conviction because mm -hmm. like you said, like, it's not gonna be easy. And it's going to be frustrating, but you got to figure out but how you, do you keep going. But you also got to understand the competitive, like I'm also, and you, I, I love contention. I love, I, love, I love facing, I love, and, and the way, and I'll just kind of wrap my point up on that about it, but it, the, the way I see it is eight lanes, right? Eight, nine lanes in, in, in a track, hmm. right? And th those lanes are obviously, you know, divided. And I see it as these walls that are about seven feet high, right? You can't see who's to the right. Mm -hmm. You can't see who's to the left. Mm -hmm. You run that race. Hmm. You come around that track. You don't know if you're in front. You don't know if you're behind, you don't know if you're in the middle, but all you know is you have to run as fast as you can and as smartly as you can and, and as uh, you know, kind of controlled as you can, but you better be in, close to the front. You better be in front 
or next to the front. And that's how I saw it kind of coming from 18 is I have to be as far as in front as I can. And the only, the only person to fight against and run against is myself. So, mm. so hopefully when those walls come up and I look around that I'm looking back and seeing right. that people are, you know, that, but now I get to bring them up. But yeah. that contention piece, I think you have to kind of gain that. If you don't have that, you it's have to hard. have that in you to fight because just getting to open the business is actually the easy part. Hmm. Then you gotta have, then you gotta hmm. run the business, and that's a whole that's a whole other thing. Stay terrible. In the business. It's awful. <laughs> it's not. It's fun, but it's it's also t- terrifying because now you have built this building, mm-hmm. and it, now it, it's always in kind of. Um, a perpetuity of being yeah, ambushed and, and you have to keep building. Yeah. So it's terrifying. It's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it's terrifying. <laughs> well, Douglas, thank you so much for your energy tonight. You, you shared you. so many fascinating nuggets. Um, you've thank come you. from so many different things and like just the ability to have such a positive outlook is completely impressive. So thank, thank you. you so much. Thank for you very much for having Y'all me. make some noise for Douglas. That was Douglas Williams, chef and owner of Mita. Find out more about Douglas and get access to all of our episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like today's episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please don't forget to rate and review us. We want more black and brown creatives to hear these stories, and that comes from your support. You can stay up to date with all things Clayma by following us on Instagram at Clayma Stories. Or you can reach out via email at hello at ClaymaStories.com. Our show this week is produced by Perfect Patel, Amiri Rose, Natalie Yazi, Jericho Trim, PRPL Productions, and DB Podcasts. Original music provided by Adrian Anaya and vocals by Rosella. Special thanks to BJ Fergozo, Jordan Dinwiddie, Sana Clark, Clint Blaine, and Damian Mitchell. I'm Bima, and you've been listening to the Claim of Stories podcast, powered by Vista. Vista.